0: Hi and welcome to The Rock Podcast. It was a long time coming, but after some 200 years of warnings ignored and 20 or so rebellious kings leading the way, it's time for the people of Israel to weigh goodbye to the promised land. Let's join Pastor Ross now with a study entitled, The Fall of Israel. All right, Heavenly Father, we like to acknowledge your presence here with us and that this is the living word of God and it didn't have its origin in any man but the Holy Spirit breathed through and wrote through holy men of God, the prophets of old, to bring us this message from heaven that's alive and living and active. And we bow before you and it. Lord, have your way, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. I like the quote that goes, no sadder words of tongue or pen are these it might have been. No sadder words of tongue or pen are these. It might have been. And Israel is feeling the sting of the regret that that proverb is all about. And even tonight in chapter 17, it kind of puts the lid on uh, the exile of the north. Israel is going to fall. The 10 tribes are going to be evicted officially. From the promised land. Um, and it might have been different. It might have been different. And here's how it went down. 2 Kings 17 verse 1. Now, and I have it on the screen if you don't have your Bible. In the 12th year of Ahaz, king of Judah, Hoshea, son of Elah, became king of Israel in Samaria. And he reigned nine years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord. But not like the kings of Israel who preceded him. Shalmaneser, king of Assyria, came up to attack Hoshea, who had been Shalmaneser's vassal or servant or slave, and had paid him tribute or taxes. But the king of Assyria discovered that Hoshea was a traitor, for he had sent envoys to So, who is king of Egypt. And he no longer paid tribute to the king of Assyria, as he had done year by year. Therefore, Shalmaneser seized him and put him in prison. The king of Assyria invaded the entire land, marched against Samaria, and laid siege to it for three whole years. In the ninth year of Hosea, the king of Assyria captured Samaria, which was the capital there in the north, and deported the Israelites to Assyria. He settled them in Halaf, in Gozan on the harbor on the Haber River, and in the towns of the Medes. And whenever you see the word Medes, it's Persia or Iran, modern day. And so we'll pause there. Uh, and if you're taking notes, the fall of Israel, the fall of Israel, how it happened. And so thank you for that slide. Now, what? God had warned now has come to pass and the more i think about what the lord has put up with his people both then and now and throughout the ages it's an he is amazing he is full of a lot of mercy and grace and patience it's not even the right word i would say long suffering i mean i mean he busted his people out of Egypt, and he brings them to the promised land, but 10 times they disobeyed and caused the fiasco in the desert, and and they, he waited it out uh, 40 years till the new generation uh, was able to go in, and right before they went in, he said in Deuteronomy 4 and many other places, he said, now listen, I mean, I, you know, the first generation failed, And didn't go in. Now, you guys are going in. And just so you know, do not even think about biting the hand that feeds you. Because if after a while that your children and your grandchildren have lived in the promised land, and you turn and worship other gods and rebel against me, you will be scattered. You will forfeit the grace that could have been yours. You will be saying... No sadder words of tongue or pen are these, it might have been. And tonight we see, after 200 long years of warning them, uh, the north falls completely, and it's time to go. The movers have pulled up. The trucks are outside. It's time to pack up, get in the exit line, and wave goodbye to the land of milk and honey. Why? Why? That is the question that has been echoing through my heart and mind. Why do we choose to turn from God when he says, keep these commands, they are for your own good, Deuteronomy 10. They're for your good. But sin is a deceitful thing. And uh, God is very patient and kind. And so the moving truck Uh, has come to Israel courtesy of the king of Assyria. And uh, here's the chart. Hosea is the last king in 20 so. Sorry, They, they, you know, they're out. I mean, the eviction notice has been not on the door for three days, but 200 years, 200 years. We're down all the way to the end. Phase one happened here. He came in and he took, you know, Two and a half tribes out. You would think, you know, maybe this guy uh, would have got the lesson and hit his knees and try to save the day. But no, this guy killed this guy who killed this guy who killed this guy who killed that guy. They're all assassins, the last five of them. And uh, this is the last guy. He was left with uh, 40 by 30 miles of promised land. And... Uh, uh, he, he was left there, even though it was less than ideal. Um, he was happy. He was happy to be king. And so he, he assassinated Pekah, and now he is the king for nine years while this whole thing is unfolding. And, uh, you, you know, Israel's falling. The exile began. The king of Assyria, uh, back in... Uh, Tiglath Peisler, remember we called him T.P.? This is, uh, this is, this is uh, his Shalmaneser is the son, okay? So there's been a change. And, 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 and what happened is that he was, Hoshea got, got to stay. Tiglath Peisler said, listen, you'll pay me rent. You are my slave. And he, like, better to be T.P.'s slave and still live in the palace and boss people around, right? Than, than not. And so he's happy. He's happy to be king. But he has to send gold and silver and spices and agricultural products and fruits and all kinds of things up. That's what vassals do. They're not really kings, they're managers, they're occupied. Right, and so he's just a puppet king, but he doesn't mind. And so, but for nine years, the text said he was happy to be uh, T.P.'s uh, slave, and so he kept those uh, payments going for nine years. And I get a throne, even though I'm not really king. Uh, but you know, let's pretend, and I can boss some Israelites around. The few that are left, you know. And so, what happens is, is T.P. dies, the king of Assyria, and Shalmaneser, his son. Takes over. But in the transition, uh, Hoshea says, I'm going to stop the payment. And he's probably thinking, well, you know, I didn't know who to send it to. You know, I heard that well, the, the old guy died. I don't know who the new guy was. And, you know, we lost the address and the email came back. And, you know, <laughs> I, I don't know, you know. And then the other thing, he had two fatal moves, right? The first one, <laughs> Well, he started to cozy up there in verse 4, he's cozying up to Egypt. So Egypt has still not completely fallen, right? And Israel is constantly through the Old Testament turning to Egypt for help instead of hitting their knees and asking God for help. And they're always chided through the Old Testament. Why are you always running to Egypt (laughs) to bail you out? Egypt was a military power. So they were always going to Egypt instead of going to the king of the universe. And so he stopped sending the rent. That was the second mistake, you know. And uh, Shalmaneser now got his insufficient funds back, you know. and and, And then somebody told him, hey, man, he sent an envoy to Egypt. What's going on there? That's a delegation for negotiation. Hey, why don't you and me... Maybe we'll even get the king of Judah in on this and we'll throw off the, the bonds, because what, he, he wants to be king, king, you see? But that's not gonna happen because the king of Assyria gets wind and he says he's a traitor and he comes down like a tornado. And he comes with a shiny new crown, King Shalmaneser, all right, so just the name is scary, you know. <laughs> he comes in like a tornado Puts the finishing touches on what his father began and all the tribes are gone now. He takes, every, he takes everyone. They're gone. And they're on a timeout. They're evicted. You know how long the timeout was? 1900 years. Well, they didn't go back to the land freely until 1948. In 1880, the first Jews started trickling in. He who scattered them Will gather them and replant them. Jeremiah 31. You see, so it was a long time out. Just in case you're, you're, you're thinking about uh, acting naughty, you know, God, God the timeouts are just incredible. Yeah. Now, Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 11 that we studied on Sunday is let us therefore make every effort to enter the rest. God's rest, let, and let none of you be found falling short and following their example of disobedience. And so uh, the rest of this chapter now, as we move forward, is spent vindicating God and his patience and his warnings and indicting Israel and showing all the reasons why they forfeited the promise. And so um, verses 7 uh, through 19, is a large section that's coming. Uh, is going to do that. We're going to take bite-sized portions. So number one was the fall of Israel, right, and and how it happened. And And point number two coming up now is the fall of Israel, why it happened. All right, here we go, 7 through 12. Now, all this took place because the Israelites had sinned against the Lord their God who had brought them up out of Egypt and under the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. They worshiped other gods and followed the practices of the nations the Lord had driven out before them. Leviticus 18 says, don't do any of these things. This is what got them into trouble. (laughs) As well as the practices of the kings of Israel had introduced. The Israelites secretly... Did things against the Lord. I mean, it's hard to keep a secret from God. Uh, there, that uh, the, the Israelites secretly did things against the Lord, their God, that were not right. From watchtower to fortified city, they built themselves high places in all their towns. They set up sacred stones. It's occult and spiritual. New Age Madness and Asherah Poles, which is associated with sexual immorality, on every hill, uh, every high hill and under every spreading tree. At every high place they burned incense as the nations whom the Lord had driven out before them had done. They did wicked things that provoked the Lord to anger. They worshipped idols, though the Lord had said, you shall not do this. And so... Let's, take a, uh, uh, let's make a list of a few missteps uh, for our own personal reflection. All right, so problem number one is ingratitude. Right away at the start of that verse, you can put the, verse, the start of the verse up there. You can see that it was God's power and love that busted them out of their hopeless situation. They had been there 400 years crying out to God under relentless pain and suffering. They were helpless and hopeless and hurting and just given over to death and slavery. And God had mercy and came down and and picked them up and and carried them as if on eagle's wings and got them out of that situation. So it was fitting that the Lord would start out. So number one, ingratitude. Don't, Don't you feel an indebtedness to the God who not only gives you life, but has done such wonderful things for you? Hebrews, don't you feel that? There should be an appreciation, a willingness, an obligation felt to walk in newness of life as redeemed people. One writer said, failure to grasp how indebted we are to God for life encourages us to act independent of his wishes. Yeah, if you're not thinking constantly of the cost of your salvation the blood of christ you won't be grateful and if you're not grateful you're not going to be uh obedient So in verse 8, just the opposite is going on. Instead of feeling obligated to obey, uh, they imitate the vile practices that the Canaanites uh, were judged for and expelled. And I told you last time, you know, Leviticus 18 is that list of terrible, perverted things that you just think, why is God even saying these things? Who would even want to do them? All kinds of unspeakable things. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't do this with that person. Don't do this. Oh, it's terrible. And then he says at the bottom of the list, this is why the Canaanites were expelled. This is why I brought you to bring judgment on them. I worked with them 400 years and they're still tossing their kids in the fire. So I'm going to kick them out of the land and bring you in. But don't you be thinking you could do the same things that got them in trouble or you would lose and forfeit out just as well. And so problem number two there in verses nine and following, you see secret sins. They were doing secret things, you know, which is kind of funny because we think we're doing, we have a secret life, a double life. You know, we have secrets and nobody really knows. You know, I go to church and I read my Bible and I'm acting like a Christian on the outside, but I've got secret little high places and I've got my little, you know, separated area of life that is secret, right? But God knows all about that. On every high hill and under every spreading tree, uh, they were doing all their secret things. They're hooking up with the world. And it's just so sad, you know, uh, secret sins. Um, Listen to this, Romans chapter 2 and verse 16. Uh, Paul speaking this will take place on the day when God judges people's secrets through Jesus Christ as my gospel declares the only way to avoid having your secrets judged on the day of his appearing is to not have any just don't have any how do you not have any. Well, it doesn't mean that there aren't some things that are private that we keep to ourselves. It's not a secret. That's called being appropriate, right? Uh, amen? <laughs> right. But a secret life, duh, we know what we're talking about. It's a hypocrisy. It's willful sinning and uh, putting on a show and having a secret life, a double life. That, that God will just say, oh, you know, there is nothing concealed that will not be uh, brought out into the open, Luke chapter 12 and verse 2. And so, so problem number one, ingratitude. They didn't feel any debt to God, no matter, even though what he's done for them. And, and problem number two, secret sins. You know, not wholehearted. I, I, I'm half-hearted because I've got my secret little things that I still like to do. Uh, let's move on, 13 through 17. So the Lord warned Israel and Judah Through all his prophets and seers, turn from your evil ways. Observe my commands and decrees in accordance with the entire law that I commanded your fathers to obey, that I delivered to you through my servants the prophets. But they wouldn't listen, were stiff-necked. It means hard-hearted, hard to be prompted to do God's will as their fathers who did not trust in the Lord their God. Verse 15, they rejected his decrees, and the covenant he had made with their fathers and the warnings he had given them. They followed worthless idols, and anything that grabbed your heart outside of God, uh, puts God in the back seat, I should say, is worthless, and uh, themselves uh, become, became worthless. They imitated the nations around them, although the Lord had ordered them, do not do as they do, and they did the things the Lord had forbidden them to do. They forsook all the commands of the Lord their God and made for themselves two idols cast in the shape of calves and an Asherah pole. They bowed down to all the starry hosts and worshiped the stars and the astrology and all of that. And Baal, verse 17, they sacrificed their sons and daughters in the fire. They practiced divination, witchcraft, sorcery, and sold themselves to do evil in the the eyes of the Lord provoking him to anger. All right, so, wow. Problem number three, they ignored the warnings, and there have been many warnings. Uh, Verse 14, they would not listen. Verse 13, it's not for a lack of information and knowledge. It never is, okay? Whenever there's a spiritual falling away, it's not because you didn't have enough information or you didn't understand what to do, because God always... Uh, brings out knowledge we know. So, verse thirteen, it says, uh, "Just so you know, uh, there was lots of prophets. There's about a hundred named Old Testament prophets in the Old Testament. There's probably hundreds more that don't have a name that it says this one prophesied this, or uh, but about a hundred name by name. And and it didn't matter who they were; that they just didn't listen." And what were they saying? It wasn't rocket science. It was what anybody could do. Turn. He's saying, uh, the, the message was turn, repent from evil. Turn. Metanoia in the Greek means to change your mind or to repent. It, just, it literally means a U-turn. Just, just turn and you'll be saved. I've said this many times. The horror of hell will be forever to realize how simple It would have been to miss hell and gain eternal life because all it took was a turn, a turn, a little turn. Just saying, hey, Jesus, remember me. (laughs) I think I really messed up here. Uh, I was uh, I was mocking you thief on the cross. Two thieves were both mocking Jesus at the beginning. And then the lights went out for a few hours. The earth was shaking. All kinds of things were going on. And this thief goes, oh, whoa, (laughs) I made a mistake, you know? And this guy's still mocking, hey, save us, big guy. And this guy says, uh, why are you mocking him? He's innocent, duh. Hey, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. Done. This day you will, you will be in paradise with me forever. How hard was that? That's the sting. That's the sting that all of that could have been avoided by just a split second. Okay, I give, I give up, I turn. That's what he was asking. So, verse 14, 15, and 16 is the trilogy there. They wouldn't listen. Uh, They didn't trust, and they forsook and rejected his commands. And then, uh, so instead, they lived and worshipped as they pleased. And it says this in your text. Um, They just turned to idols. They wanted to do their own thing. Uh, Proverbs 29 in verse 1 says, Whoever remains stiff-necked after many rebukes will be suddenly destroyed without remedy. watch out for your hard heart and warning, warning, warnings. (laughs) Oh, I'm out of jokes for the night about cell phones. All right. Now, the thing about what they wanted to do is the summary is they don't want to do God's will. They want to do it their way. Now, their favorite song is Frank Sinatra's My Way. All right. And so let me quote to you a little bit. I always go here. You know I like this song just to (laughs) rag on it, okay? And now the end is near, and so I face the final curtain. My friend, I'll say it clear. I'll state my case, of which I'm certain. I've lived a life that's full. I've traveled each and every highway. And more, much more than this, I did it my way. Here's the refrain that a lot of people don't, Remember, here's how it goes. For what is a man, what has he got? If not himself, then he has nothing, naught. To say the things he truly feels and not the words of one who kneels. The record shows I took the blows and did it my way. Number one song at American funerals. Number one. Google it. (laughs) Number one for secular non-Christian funerals. Because this is not going to fly at a Christian memorial service. (laughs) All right. Wow. This is what Israel was doing. We did it our way. We wanted to, you know, want to do this, want to do that, want to, you know. So... Sadly, 18 through 23. So the Lord was very angry with Israel and removed them from his presence. Only the tribe of Judah was left, and even Judah did not keep the commands of the Lord their God. They followed the practices Israel because they were divided. Judah was in the south, and they had eight out of their 20 kings were good. So they get 135 more years till they're evicted. Uh, they followed the practices of Israel, had introduced, okay. Therefore, the Lord rejected all the people of Israel. He afflicted them and gave them into the hand of hands of plunderers until he thrust them from his presence. When he tore Israel away from the house of David, they made Jeroboam son of Nabat their king. Jeroboam enticed Israel away from following the Lord and caused them to commit a great sin. The Israelites persisted in all the sins of Jeroboam and did not turn away from them until the Lord removed them from his presence as he had warned through all his servants, the prophets. So the people of Israel were taken from their homeland into exile in Assyria and they are still there. You know the map? Do I have the map of the Assyrian? All right. This is, just to give you an idea, this, this right here, this circle is Assyria. Oh, yeah. Ancient Assyria. So it's parts of Syria, Iraq, a little bit of Turkey in there, and Iran. All of this, and Saudi Arabia, parts of Saudi Arabia, and Jordan. All of this was... Shalmaneser's territory. Wow. Uh, you can show the, the other one too with the arrows. So there were three really phases, and so they, they leave, they come in for, and they, they take them out, and now they're in this area. From here, they go to Persia. From here, they're, they're deflected into Russia. My great grandparents are Jews from Russia who emigrated to Poland and had my grandparents, who emigrated to Brooklyn, who had, they had my father. And so the, the way those Jews got to Russia was 7th century BC when they were scattered. So that's why there's about 100,000 Jews in Russia today. You see, how did they get there? They got there because this really happened. Okay, so moving along. So uh, problem number five is they followed the wrong voice. Do you have the chart of the kings again? Can you put those up there? This dude here. (laughs) It was David, Solomon, Solomon's son, Rehoboam, and then boom, Jeroboam divided the kingdom. And God said to Jeroboam, dude, if you shape up and fly right, I will bless you like David. Oh, I'll do wonders for you. And he said, no way. I'm going to do my own thing. And he's the dude who put the golden calves at Dan and Bethel, one in the north, one in the south, and said, these are your gods, O Israel. And he set the tone for the rest of Israel. For 200 years, they could not break the cycle of this dude. And every time you meet one of these guys, you hear, he walked in the ways of his father, Jeroboam, son of Nabat, Because Nabat, his father, dude, his father's in trouble too. Because really he was following his dad. And the Lord just said, listen, they couldn't pull up. The, the, the stall alarm was going, pull up, pull up, pull up. And not one of them, not one of them could do it. And so it goes back to that. They followed the wrong voice. So, so if you have 18 through 23, you can put that up there for them. Problem number five, they followed the wrong voice. And that voice was Jeroboam. They could have followed David, but instead they followed Jeroboam's. Uh, now, back in the early days of this church, we had a, a church event. And it was a, a hike to up in Spring Lake somewhere, Annadale Park somewhere. I had never been there. So Rex, who often plays on the worship team, uh, was leading the hike. And so we were following him. We stopped at Summerfield and Highway 12 there. And I was parked right behind Rex. And I looked up and Rex started to move and I followed him. I thought it was odd that he would turn left because I thought Spring Lake was that way. But I followed him and I followed him and I followed him and I thought, you know, we're leaving Santa Rosa. <laughs> this can't be right. And then I looked a little closer and I saw blonde hair blowing in the, in the breeze <laughs> and puffs of cigarette smoke coming out. And I just thought, Rex, no. <laughs> I realized, okay, well, here's what happened. I was looking down for just a second and a car, very similar to Rex's, pulled in. Rex had pulled out, and a, there was a car parked this way waiting to get in, and got in, and a same color, same vehicle, it, it was, I just followed, right? And here's the deal about following somebody. You end up in the place the person you're following ends so oh, they followed Jeroboam. Jeroboam, through idolatry and unbelief, ends up perishing and losing everything. And if you follow a guy like that, on a voice like that, you end up doing that. Now you have options. You could follow David. Where would you end up? <laughs> you would end up in God's presence where there are pleasures evermore. Psalm 16, David wrote, inspired by the Holy Spirit. If you follow Jeroboam, you end up perishing. And options are today. Follow Christ. End up in heaven where he said he was going. I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, you'll be with me. Follow me, and guess that's where I'm going. And if you follow me, guess what? You're going to end up where I am. Follow the world. Follow your flesh. Follow the devil. And you'll end up in hell, that was prepared for the devil and his followers, Matthew 25 and 41. The Lord said, I, I prepared hell for the devil and his angels and anybody stupid enough to follow them. Sorry, no offense. <laughs> but the worst thing is, yeah, never mind. I'm not going to say it. So, so they follow Jeroboam's example in the text. The Lord was displeased, and the people were exiled to Iraq, Iran, Syria, and uh, a few others. So we've seen the fall of Israel, how it happened. Number two was the fall of Israel, why it happened. And now number three, the fall of Israel, the aftermath. Let's start with, uh, from 24 on to the end of the chapter is the aftermath. Uh, but let's take it in little bite-sized chunks. 24 to 27. Very interesting. The king of Assyria brought people from Babylon. From Iraq and Iran. Here, here they are. The, all of these places are mostly in Iraq. Uh, Kutha. Ava. Hamath. Sepharvaim. And settled them in towns of Samaria to replace the Israelites. They took over Samaria. You know, there's an ongoing problem with the Jews in Samaria, right? You know why they had problems? Because of, they were Gentiles, they were mixed, and here's how it happened. So he brought them back to Samaria. They took over Samaria. When they first lived there, they didn't worship the Lord. So he sent lions among them, and they killed some of the people. So it was reported to the king of Assyria, hey, Shalmaneser. The people you deported and resettled in the towns of Samaria don't know what the god of that country requires. He sent lions among them, which are killing them off because the people do not know what he requires. That the king of Assyria gave this order. Have one of the priests you took captive from Samaria go back and live there and teach the people what the God of that land requires. <laughs> oh, that's kind of funny, almost. Okay, so number three, really the aftermath. Now, Operation Replant the Holy Land with non-Jews, with Assyrians, it isn't going well at first. Uh, that is standard procedure. When, you, when they would oc- occupy and conquer land, they would take the best of the people, and most of them, take them away, plant them in Assyria, and put them to work for the Assyrians, and bring in Assyrians, too. And most of them were prisoners, but they would plant them in to assimilate and help the the country to to want to obey and become kind of like Assyria. And so there was an effort to to replant these Assyrians there. Uh, Expositor's Bible commentary about that verse. Not only did the Assyrian monarch hope to make the, the repopulated and reconstituted districts more manageable, but they hoped to train and encourage the citizens to transfer their loyalties to the Assyrian Empire. So now uh, the settlers coming from Iraq and Iran to Samaria, uh, there were more than just the settlers. There were apparently some very hungry lions also that were (laughs) settling in there. Uh, So... Uh, for me, the amazing thing is that the new leadership knows that this is a divine action, that something is wrong, in God, this is a supernatural thing, that God has caused these lions to come in, and people are being killed off. How, who told them that? Non-Christians and unbelievers know way more than they let on to. Who told you that? How did you know? How did you put together? You know, hey, the man upstairs isn't very happy. You know why? Because the Holy Spirit helps us to know when the lions come into our lives that which lions are a result of our own wrongdoing. We know. He didn't need a prophet to come. He says, hey, man, you better. we better fix this because the God of this land isn't very happy. I like what one writer said. Obviously, all tragedy is not linked to disobedience or sin. But when it is, no one knows this more than the one to whom the lions have been sent. (laughs) I know that. You know that, right? You know when, hey, my heart's right. Bad things happen. God's working. But when you have a lion that comes and the Holy Spirit goes, you know. You just know this is a lion of my own doing. You see? And they knew. So, yeah. Lots and lots of people in heaven uh, thanking God for sending lions, I think. And uh, one writer said, better a lion and end up in heaven than a koala bear and end up in hell. <laughs> Send the lion. If that's going to save my eternal soul. Amen. All right, let's get going here, 28 through 33. See, let's get going there. Did you hear that? He heard me say that. Let's get going, and the car took off. Verse 28. So one of the priests who had been exiled from Samaria came to live in Bethel and taught them how to worship the Lord. Nevertheless, each national group made its own gods in the several towns where they had settled and set up set them up in the shrines the pe- and set them up in the shrines the people of Samaria had made at the high places the men from Babylon made sukkoth benah the men from kutta made nergal and the men from Hamath made Ashima. and the Abites made Nibhaz and tartak and the Sepharvites burn their children in the fire as sacrifices to Adramelech and Anamelech, the gods of Sepharvayim. You know what? If you can't pronounce the name of your God, you should not have him. <laughs> How hard is Yahweh? Everyone can say Yahweh. Jesus, that's simple. Right? And I could tell right there, that's not right. You know, I can't say your name. They worshiped the Lord, but they also appointed all sorts of their own people to officiate for them as priests in the shrines at the high place. In other words, this was fake, false. They worshiped the Lord, but they also served their own gods in accordance with the customs of the nations from which they had been brought. Now... Uh, you can lead a horse to water, but you cannot make him drink. So uh, instruction comes. It doesn't seem like it's going to be good. Um, you know what I noticed here is well, People kind of get the general idea. Okay, God's not happy. There are lions here. I need to make this right. There's a general understanding that there's a God in heaven, and uh, there's a problem. There's guilt and shame, but they need instruction. Do you see that? They get the problem. God's not happy with me, and I'm in trouble, but they need the gospel. They need somebody to come and teach them. That's why the Lord gave us pastors and teachers and evangelists, Ephesians chapter four. We need to be taught. How how can they know unless somebody is sent to them and and teaches them, Romans chapter 10. And so uh, they hired the wrong pastor. Okay, so here's what they did. They, got a, they, they said, hey, okay, get a pastor that you took from there, send him back, and get him teaching. Well, all the, all the priests were corrupt. And where does he go? He goes to Bethel. He doesn't go to Jerusalem. He goes to Bethel where the calves were. Bethel is code for uh, false worship central, right? So this dude, they hired the wrong guy. He comes in, and he starts preaching and teaching. Okay, guys, there are lions out there, you know? So we got the wrong preacher, teaches the wrong message, and sends worshipers in the wrong direction. You know who they needed? They needed Isaiah, or Jonah, or Habakkuk, or Zephaniah. These are guys who were around at the time. Instead, you know who they got? They got B.L. Zabub. (laughs) (laughs) He goes by BL for sure. All right, here's what one writer said about Beelzebub, the, pre- the preacher dude, okay, came in. He preached a message that could fit in with all their other ideas, values, and gods. It was a gospel that didn't offend Sukoth, Bimoth, Nergal, Ashima, Nibhaz, or Tartak a gospel and a way of life that could walk side by side with sexual immorality, witchcraft, and child sacrifice. It was the gospel of tolerance and cultural sensitivity. Sound familiar? Wow. The Assyrian settlers were happy. Um, The Jews, the remnant, were happy. Everybody was getting along. The Assyrian king was happy. He's happy, except the Lord, except the Lord, John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, nobody comes to the Father but by me, John 10, 8, all other ways, thieves and robbers, Acts 4, 12, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name given among men by which we must be saved. And what did he tell Israel in Isaiah chapter 43 and verse 10? You are my witnesses, O Israel, and you are my servant, Israel. You have have been chosen to know me, believe in me, and understand this, that I alone am God. There is no other God. There never has been and never will be. I am the Lord apart from me. There is no savior. Wow. You've seen this bumper sticker, right? Right. Now, this is what the paragraph's all about. It's what the paragraph's all about. And it says, they worshiped the Lord and all everything was side by side. It was right there. Everybody was happy, except this one. Now, how... How can they all be true? How can they all be true? They can't all be true. I don't understand the premise. If one of them is true, the rest of them are false. And this one says, I became a man and hung on a cross for the sins of the world and apart from me, there's no other way to get there. A lot of these say, hey, you know, everybody has a way. It's all right. These Need to bow before Him. We do not coexist. They submit to Christ because He loves them and He gave His life for them. <laughs> Let's finish up. To this day, they persist in their former practices. They neither worship the Lord nor adhere to the decrees and ordinances. The laws and commands that the Lord gave the descendants of Jacob is Jacob's name got changed to Israel because he fathered the 12 tribes. So he's often called Jacob or Israel, same thing, whom he named Israel. Oh, there you go. (laughs) When the Lord made a covenant with the Israelites, he commanded them, do not worship any other gods or bow down to them. Serve them, don't serve them, don't sacrifice to them. But the Lord who brought you up out of Egypt with mighty power and an outstretched arm is the one you must worship to him. You bow down and offer sacrifices. You you must always be careful to keep the decrees and ordinances, the laws, commands he wrote for you. Do not worship other gods. Don't forget the covenant I've made with you. And do not worship other gods. Rather, worship the Lord your God as he who will deliver you from the hand of all your enemies. Doesn't make sense? Oh, he's bleeding. He's bleeding with us. They would not listen, however, but persisted in their former practices. Even while these people were worshiping the Lord, they were serving their idols. To this day, their children and grandchildren continue to do as their fathers did. Can you back up to the last slide? I want to read that last sentence again. Even while these people were worshiping the Lord, they were serving their idols. Wow, that's the note that I want to end on. The myth of having it both ways. You can't do that. You can't worship the Lord and have idols on the side to try to appease culture and appease your flesh and, and try to appease the Lord. But they would say, yes, you can't. Yeah, we're doing it. It said right there, while we were worshiping the Lord, we also served our idols. See, you can do it. Mm -hmm. By serving your idols, you are no longer truly worshiping the Lord because you can't do both. So by serving (laughs) our lusts and and our idols and all the things that take his place, that we kind of negate the the reality of worshiping the Lord. So Saturday morning, they would worship Yahweh on the Sabbath. By by Saturday evening, they would go to one of those high places and under the spreading trees where the incense and the high priestess of Ashtoreth were there. They'd have a few drinks and then they'd go in to the shrine and spend some time with the priestess worshiping. Saturday morning, they worshiped the Lord. They were at temple. They were singing out of the Psalms. Saturday night was another story. Here's a quote from F.B. Meyer. Are you sure this is not a true description of your own position? You pay an outward deference to God by attending his house and acknowledging his day while you are really prostrating yourself before other shrines. The greatest command of all, Jesus said in Matthew 22, is love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. If you obey that command, you, you, it precludes you from serving the idols because there's no room. All your heart, all your mind, all your soul... All your strength. There's no room for an idol if you love God with all your heart. And that's what's necessary. There's no room for a love of a son or a daughter or a mother or father more than God, more than Christ. Jesus said, whoever loves their their child or their parent more than me is not worthy of me. Wow. And no room to love my own life more. He said, if you try to save your life, You'll lose it, but if you lose it for my sake, you'll find it. If you love the Lord with all your heart, there's no room to love money more than God. Jesus said, You can't, there's no way you can serve me and money, God and money. You'll either love one and hate the other, or hate the one and love the other, but you can't do it both ways. You just can't. Spurgeon, let me be right. And let there be no mistake about it, but do not let me try to be both right and wrong, washed and filthy, white and black, a child of God and a child of Satan. Charles Spurgeon. So what's the cure to all of this? Oh, you know what's cool? He told one of the Samaritans the cure for all of this nonsense. In John chapter 4, Jesus had to go through Samaria, this Samaria, right? And he was tired. He sat down, and there was a Samaritan woman there at 12 noon because, she, you know, she probably had some problems with other people because they don't normally draw water at noon. So she's drawn water, and he says, Hey, I'm thirsty. Can you give me a drink? And she said, Oh, come on, you're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan woman. You guys aren't even supposed to be talking to me. What are you? How can you ask me for a drink of water? And he says, oh, if you only knew who it was who was asking you for a drink of water. Wow. And, and so they get into this whole thing. And, and he, she says, well, I don't, you know, I don't really have anything to draw with well, what you're you know, looking for. Jesus said, listen, I got this water that if you drink it, You never be thirsty again. And she said, wow, I'm starting to get interested in this. And so they started to have this talk, and and the Samaritan woman starts to bring up Samaritan religion when Jesus kind of presses in. Actually, here's what happened. He said, listen, I want to talk to you and your husband. So she said, well, actually, I'm not married. And he said, well, that's a true statement if ever I heard one because you've had five husbands and the guy you're living with now is not your husband. So yeah, you're right, you're not married. And then she goes like this. Oh, you guys are, she changes the subject. She goes, you guys always the same. We can't worship out on M- Mount Gerizim that you Jews know the way. And he said, that's right. You worship in darkness. You guys, you Samaritans worship the same way that they were worshiping 500 years earlier, 600 years earlier. You worship what you don't know and understand. Salvation comes from the Jews, he says to her. And so he says, here's the answer to all of this madness. Come to me and drink of the water of life and thirst no more. And she went and told the whole village, come meet a man who knew everything about me. Could this be the Christ? And the village goes out, and they talk to him, and they see him, and they believe. And they end up saying at the end of John 4, they say, we no longer just believe because what you have said to us, your testimony. We went out and heard for ourselves, and we believe that he is the Savior of the world. And so the Lord, reaching out to Samaria, that was a result of their disobedience. Those are Samaritans. They're half Jews. They're half Iraqi, half Jew, half Syrian, half Jew, with their own little way of worshiping God. And that's why the Jews were so anti-Samarian. But Jesus walked through there and said, listen, I got the cure for the whole thing right here. Come to me and drink the water I give, and you'll never thirst again. All your problems solved. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truths in this chapter. And we pray, Lord, that we would put them into practice. We thank you, Lord, for just all the ways the Holy Spirit was talking to our hearts and showing us things, encouraging us, correcting us, instructing us. We love you, Lord. Thank you for your patience with all of us. In Christ's name, amen. Let's stand together. Closing song. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvarytherock.org or find us on Facebook. These podcasts are also available in video format on our Calvary Chapel The Rock YouTube page.